Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Heart and Hand production. Hello everyone, welcome to the Rangers Relay. My name is Stevie Clifford, here on the Heart and Hand podcast, and joining me today is none other than Mr Cameron Bale. Cammy, how are you mate? I'm good buddy, I'm good. Um, we're, uh, we're, we're back talking about the Rangers, which uh, was interesting when you figure the last time uh, you know Rangers were involved in our lives, it was a bit kind of doomy and gloomy, but we knew that at some point with the World Cup and all that was a nice distraction. But the real proper football um, starts back tomorrow night. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, we last recorded um, halfway through September and we were due to record at the end of October. But it turned out that I had went to Napoli with media and things and then Cameron yourself was on holiday. So we kind of have missed an episode. But the good news is, Cammy, not a lot's happened. Not a lot. Not a lot. Well, a few things I think we'll probably cover, but... Uh, yeah, we, we even if we had been able to kind of get that episode in between, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it would have been fit to air given some of the stuff that we're about to talk about. We've had the opportunity to kind of calm down since. Yeah, we have, and we're going to try and keep this light, and we'll try and keep it positive as well. But it would be remiss not to look at what's went on. Obviously, everybody knows the situation with Europe and with the league. Um, Giovanni van Bronckhurst has come and gone. And we should really, you know, look at that whole situation. Cammy, um, Giovanni Van Bronckhurst took Rangers to a Scottish Cup victory. He took us to a European final. He took us to Champions League football for the, the first time in over a decade. But league-wise, um, it really slipped away from him, falling nine points behind. That last weekend charge, particularly damaging when he went from four points behind to nine points behind. 
And not only was that damaging, but the performances on a whole were really starting to be problematic. He has now left the building. Don't want to be overly negative and and you know start off the the show on a on a downward sort of tone. But what's your thoughts and kind of summing up of Giovanni van Bronckhurst and his time at the club? Yeah, I mean it's interesting as you talk there. I've heard a lot. Of, I've heard a lot and read a lot around. You know, could van Bronckhurst be known more as a cup manager? And you know, there's merit to that. Uh, to that argument because sometimes it can be uh, you know a manager's downfall uh, they may be known being able to try and maintain a constant and that is better performances within the league given then when it comes to cups they falter listen you know his predecessor you know wasn't phenomenal at that so it, it's it's really sad right and I think that's the thing that I would kind of talk about first more than anything else that I don't believe that anyone wanted Giovanni Van Bronckhurst to fail and I, and I I strongly believe, as we talked about at the time, and you can go back and check all of our relative blogs and recordings and everything, that was probably some of my greatest periods following Rangers, especially Seville, you know, Leipzig, Dortmund. All of that was just magical. It really was. And so I don't think anyone could really ever, you know, have an ill will against Giovanni van Bronckhurst for, for how the performances and how everything kind of more or less kind of came to an end. And feel as if that that was the the general over. I think you'll be looked upon as some of the the highlights that you've just kind of covered there. The problem, though, Stevie, was the performances. It was the um, the, the kind of lack of a recognised style of play. Um, we could see, and and you've seen it not just out, I mean not just in Rangers outside and other clubs and stuff when managers are trying to put their own imprint into it, and players have to learn how to fit into it, and if you're not part of that system and you're not you're not willing to learn it, then you know your time at that club is going to be particularly short um, because a manager will look to be able to try and, and, and provide an, a, a blueprint. I just you know couldn't see it with Van Bronckhurst. Um, and I think that when we got to the stage, especially towards the latter part there, as you kind of mentioned and stuff, and as we got through that kind of period where, you know, St. Johnson... Hearts and, and, and St Mirren to take us up to, to pretty much the kind of the end of the domestic form uh, prior to the break. Um, it just felt like it was going game by game. And the, the support for, for me, I think, are always difficult to turn back once that they've made up their mind against you. Um, and I know there was a lot of murmurings and rumblings online of people not, not happy at the fact that people weren't fully behind the manager. But I think they were. I think they were when they went away to Europe, um, you know, and, and followed the team everywhere. And then when they bought, you know, now on £200 match packages for, for the three games at Ibrox. I understand all of that. Even to go and see your team getting absolutely rifled, I still think that the support was there. And I still think we put our hands in our pockets. I think that we do have a degree of uh, an entitlement to say, where is this going? It doesn't have to be here. It doesn't have to be, you know, here now, because we do have a degree of patience. It just wasn't happening. And I think that's what turned most people against them, Stevie. It was the idea of, you know, you could concede a last-minute equaliser and you're like, oh, well, that's just the way how, you know, the cookie crumbles. But there was games, Stevie, where we were struggling. And, you know, I think about Livingston at home, you know, that we could still be playing that game right now and I'm still convinced it would be a draw. So, yeah, it's just a real, a real shame how it all ended, but it had to end. And I think that's where we were. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I think that not only the results, which weren't good, but the performances really dictated that. And we, you know, the last time we spoke, we'd kind of just um, had our first Champions League game against Napoli, which was a not too bad performance, but ultimately the result wasn't good. Now, Cami, just to kind of, you know, sit and, and, and kind of go over it slightly, when it came to Liverpool at home on the 12th of October, I that is when I said that Giovanni Van Brocker should be removed as Rangers manager. More to do with the performance rather than the result, because in all honesty, you sit here, Liverpool are an elite side. You can take a hammering off them. They are that good. But the, the worrying thing about that night was the performance level and things like that. Now, this isn't an attempt to go back over. You know that I don't think there's much need to go game by game. But my point being is that I still am not sure whether or not I was right or wrong to be as publicly vocal as I was against the manager and call for his removal. But as time went on, it did get worse. Unfortunately, at that point, some people said to me, Stevie, he's still only two points behind in the league, which was entirely fair. And I understand that. And I think at that point, even with me saying it, it would have been incredibly unfair for him to have been removed at that point. Unfortunately, as it went on, it did. The wheels did come off. And I wonder, and somebody said online, was he a victim of, of the success of qualifying for the Champions League that it just completely knocked the squad? And this is where it becomes a bit of a wider discussion and, and maybe one that we don't want to delve too much in it. But I am keen to get your thoughts. Did the lack of fitness preparation, and we'll come to what Michael Beale has to say about it in a wee bit, but did that lack of fitness did the lack of you know apparent squad tactics or or formation whatever you want to call it understanding of what he was trying to do was it just the perfect storm for all that that simply caught up with him because it was more for me it was more than just the results it was what we were seeing was just so short of anything and I think that as we touched upon the last three games they caught up with him but I think overall from that point of, of midway in September, ironically, last time we recorded, more or less, it just completely fell off and the, and the downward trajectory has continued. And I just think that everything caught up with Van Bronckhurst's fitness led to injuries, led to bad performances, led to lack of confidence, led to, you know, what can be, maybe, we don't want to be too overly harsh, but perhaps a section of the, the players stopped playing for him as well. But, it really was. Is it fair to say it was a collective, you know, a collective storm when it came to everything that had happened? Yeah, I mean, I think it is fair. I think, I think it can be difficult because players can be very spoiled, right? And and what I mean by that is it can they're very very well catered for. You've been in and around Ibrox, Stevie. You know what I'm talking about when I'm saying that that you know the player is king in terms of how they are treated. And the problem with that also then becomes that you do get to a stage where you've got to question certain levels of accountability. And so I think you had probably a, a, a balancing effect of whether or not the, the, the management group, and there was a group, by the way, because I, I know that we will obviously do that kind of typical thing of the Van Bronckhurst as a, as a, as a you know, the, the spearhead of that. But, you know, there was a, a deluge of staff underneath them who, who I think for me probably didn't live up to, to what we were needing from them. I don't know the, the ins and outs of that from an individual perspective, but I think collectively there's that failure. But then you look at the other body and the other side of that balance, which is the players. 
and the players will find it very easy to turn around and go, well, if I don't understand what the, the, the management group, the coaches, etc., are trying to do with me, if I'm not being pushed in training, if I'm having a slight dip in terms of fitness levels, um, but I'm not being questioned on that, I'm not being harassed to be able to try and get them back up the way or make a quick recovery back from injury, I do think a kind of certain level of, of complacency will set in to be able to say, well, actually, if I don't need to live up to, to incredibly high standards, and this is true in any walk of life, it's not just football. You know, if my boss will accept me at 80%, and I'm not going to get much more out of my work if I work at 100%, then I'll go in for 80 and I'll do that. Everyone would do the same thing, right? No one cartwheels into work to be able to say, I can't wait to absolutely bust my arse today and then crawl out the door. The difference, though, in terms of where we were at was, I think at times with Van Bronckhurst, because again, as we talk about that failure to, to, to have that imprint within the players and be able to get into it, there wasn't that collective belief to say, look, we're not there yet, but we can get there. We need to be able to try and get there. And listen, I've spoken to former Rangers players. I've spoken to players who played under Coutinho. They've openly said about the fact that players more or less started to ignore the manager when they couldn't find it. Now, I don't think that happened here. I think that what happened was that you were given chasings against Ajax and Napoli. I think you can perform well at Anfield, but then when you get up to, to, uh, to Ibrox and Liverpool tear you apart like warm bread, it's massively demotivating. I understand that. That's a human element of it. What needs to happen, however, is that you then need to look at your lieutenants within the group to say, you know, yes, everybody, everybody with even the smallest iota of football and knowledge understands where the Champions League and the SPL are, you know, universes apart. But having said all of that, the league is the bread and butter. So therefore, you would look towards your key lieutenants within the group to be able to galvanise the players, even if the management team aren't. And I just don't think any of that really happened. And I think it, it started a slippery slide and then it just got progressively worse and worse. There was times when we were scraping out results domestically, Stevie, and then it got to the point where we couldn't do it. I think the players looked tired. I think they looked exhausted mentally. And again, I understand that even from the European campaign. But fundamentally, I'm, I'm a huge believer, Stevie, that you know hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard enough. And you can be a great player against your opponent. You can be far better. But if your opponent wants it more, then again, like you say, I think you know even at top-level sport, you'll, you'll see people you know with that grit and determination if you don't come with that, then I think you're going to make a hard job even harder. Yeah, and I think that's fair, especially when you look at some of the domestic performances where we started to drop points, you know, Livingston drawn at home, etc. You know, a really perfect example of that. But that has come and gone. Giovanni Van Bronckhurst leaves. And look, you know, I may have had a relationship with him where I've been quite critical, but I really wish him all the best for his future. He was an incredibly nice guy to deal with. He never dodged a question. And I unfortunately got to a point where myself and David, Cammy, you know yourself in the in the um, press conferences, were being quite tough with him. We were asking him, you know, are these players playing with them? Have, have you got them fit? You know, and, and there was questions that were quite difficult and he, and he never dodged one of them and he was always very polite and welcoming. So we certainly wish him all the best for the future. But the change has been made and Michael Beale is now here. So I suppose it, it straight to it, Cammy is for you, Michael Beale, the, the right choice. And was there anybody else in the running that, that you like to sound off? Um, 
not so much in the running because I know that there was there was various conversations that were happening because even within our more successful periods, Steve, even some of the things that you mentioned there in terms of obviously Seville, the Scottish Cup final, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's very rare that within Rangers a manager with those achievements basically has shown the door after you know pretty much just a, a year's anniversary. Um, and so I know that there was various different um, requirements that the support had for managers. Some wanted experience, you know, some wanted domestic experience, some wanted Scottish domestic experience. So I didn't necessarily have a preferred candidate. What I wanted, however, was for us not to limit ourselves to managers who were immediately available, i.e. those without a job currently, right? And I know that's a tough thing to do because recruiting managers is really difficult, right? Unless you've got a manager who's got an overwhelming desire to come to your club, the reason why they're in a job is because they're they're attaining some level of success, the higher level of success they have at the moment, the tougher it's going to be for you to get them. And it's very difficult to be able to try and bring a manager plus all of his team um, away from basically, you know, a, a, a club that's doing pretty well. That's a tough thing to ask for, right? So it's not just as simple as flashing money and being able to try and do that. The second thing I really wanted was some degree of experience, right? And, I, and the reason why I mean that is because, you know, even you know when because you mentioned there about your com- your press conferences with with Van Van Bronckhurst when I did them with Stephen Gerrard I also could see the fact that there was a very thin line where he was quick he did have a bit of a hair trigger temper and I don't necessarily mean with the press I just mean I could see it with players I could see how he could go from zero to a hundred and so sometimes you can't always boot a player up the arse sometimes you've got to be that that swinging door between booting him up the arse but also putting your arm around his shoulder to get the absolute best out of him again that's just a management tactic generally it's not exclusive to football so for me I wanted someone that was going to be able to come in with that experience and then be able to try and galvanize a group because there is there's an incredible amount of surgery that has to happen in that in that um first team squad I mean a lot of 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 um work has to happen on it but anyone coming in was going to have to work with what he had so you're going to have to look for someone who could get a tune out of players and I suppose the only thing that would concern me with Michael Beale is firstly that lack of experience and the second thing being I don't think the players deserve to get it easy because there's someone coming in that they had a prior positive relationship with and for that person to come in thinking listen don't worry about it boys I'm back we'll all just kind of get back together like the old boys club. It, it can't work like that. These players have been underperforming. They have not been doing well. And I'm not going to go as far as to say that they're down tools, but I know that there's, there's been certain elements of it where I just don't think that we're getting enough from them. And I think that we deserve better as a support from them. And therefore, if he's going to come in and do that, absolutely, that's exactly what I want. He can't come in, Stevie, for me and say, oh, I know I wasn't manager before, but I'm manager now, and you all better respect me, he has to be able to come in and lay that groundwork and and, and live and breathe that managerial role. Um, and that's a tough thing to do when you've been a coach and you've got that real closeness and that relationship with that group of players because the manager's always distant, right? That's why McCoy's failed. But very rarely do you ever see someone going from that support position into the senior position and succeeding. So 
that might sound pretty negative. I don't mean it to be. I think that he solves for me some of the, the, the tactical awareness that we've been missing, some of the blueprint, the style of play that we've been missing. And I think he will be able to come in and do that. But I need to I need to be able to see the other things being addressed as well within that manager. We've got we had a great phrase that was coined by Martin Ramsey and Heart and Hand a number of number of years ago where the prime the 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 the, the first team manager of Rangers has to be virtually like the Prime Minister. It's about control. It's about being central to everything and understanding that that's a tough thing for a young relatively inexperienced manager to have to come into. So Michael Beale has some very, very big shoes to fill. I'm hoping he can do it. I want him to do it. I think everybody uh, will support him accordingly. We will absolutely give him the fair crack of the whip. Um, But he does have a very, very big job in his hands. Yeah, and I think he acknowledges one of the first things he said and the first things he, he spoke about was that he doesn't have a close relationship with these players he wasn't their friend, although he was on good terms with most of them. So he was quite distant like that. And he, he does feel that he's able to be the disciplinarian. I get a good impression of Michael Beale. And for full disclosure, um, I always got on with him very well, Cammy. As you know, during his time here, before he was very approachable. He kept in contact when he left. We exchanged messages quite regularly. Um and, you know, he he is a very, somebody that I, I really, really like. So he was the choice for me. But what I would say also is that when Steven Gerrard left, you had Frank Lampard, Giovanni Van Bronckhurst. You had the other big names that were all there. I don't think it was quite the same this time round, which, you know, is I think it tells you a wee bit about where we are at this moment in time. But I'm really happy that Michael Beale's here. And he's made a great first impression. Now, we were allowed to sit down with Michael Beale when he was um, first unveiled to the press. Fan media was allowed to sit with him. And um, most of it, what was said was off the record. There was, And what I would say is there was nothing, you know, um, and there was no exclusives or anything in there. It wasn't so much that. It was more people sharing their own thoughts, etc. So I asked a question which I was allowed to, and I asked at the time, I said, is this fair that I go back and tell people? And one of the big, and I was told unreservedly, yes, that's absolutely fine. And, and the question was to Michael Beale, and it was in the presence of Ross Wilson and Stuart Robertson, that I had a real issue because I was worried that Michael Beale wouldn't be in charge completely fully. And would he get the chance to oversee and get the final say on transfers, contracts, and be a manager because I had been worried that things that Giovanni Van Bronckhurst had said had contradicted things and used a word that Martin said at the time also when I was trying to explain the question was there was a disconnect, which we felt. Now, the example I used at the time was Robbie McCrory signed his new contract for Rangers and in the press release, it was a very standard press release, we're very excited about his future and Ross Wilson said, we can't wait. You know, the manager spoke to him about his future and, you know, number one, etc. in the future, blah, blah, blah. We spoke to Giovanni Van Brockhurst 90 minutes later on a press conference before match day. And he said that he had nothing to do with the contract renewal and he hadn't spoke to Robbie McCrory um, about his future in any way. So it completely contradicted what was said. I put that to, to Ross Wilson and to the guys and said, look, that's my issue. And... 
Ross Wilson kind of said it was a communications thing. What he would have meant was that he had nothing to do with the contract renewal itself, but he had full input on on what was happening. And um, the Michael Beale was very strong and very adamant that he would be in complete control and complete charge of who was being recruited on contract renewals, on targets, on scouting. He would have the final say and the majority input on everything. Ross Wilson then completely um, backed that point up and said that he would be working for Michael Beale in that regard and they would be working together as a group. He then went on to say that um, most of the players that are here and scouted were on the radar before and Michael Beale is aware of them and looking forward to that. And he also said, Michael Beale, in that conversation, that he had already spoken to Redman Yilvaz. And I thought that was quite interesting, that he'd already sat him aside. So that was a big thing for me, Cammy. And just because of what Van Bronckhurst had said before. Now, look, maybe it was a, a small barrier in what we were asking and how he was trying to transcribe it back to us and, and relay it back to us. But... That, for me, was a really important question. Michael Beale has to be Rangers manager. He can't be a Rangers coach with other people around him. And if that's not been happening to Ross Wilson, then that's completely fine. Uh, but because of the void and things that have been said by Giovanni van Bronckhurst, that was the feeling amongst some of the support, particularly myself. So that was nice to get an answer. And, and interestingly, Cami, for such a pointed question, because it was that, um, they actually said it was a really good question and a good chance to clear there. Yeah, and I think I think the thing is though that it's always interesting, right? Because whenever we we talk about the larger sphere of fan media, it feels like you know we'll duck out of being able to try and have those types of those difficult questions, those pointed questions, as you say, Stevie. And see, fundamentally, right, it's not true because. Whenever any of us will go in and ask a question within a press conference, it's because we will ask what we think, you know, our readers, what our listeners, you know, would would want to be able to try and ask themselves if they were in the room. Now, you can't go in there and go mental because you still have to have a degree of a disconnect because you're not sitting in that room necessarily looking to express the opinions of a fan. You're looking to be able to understand and get clarity on why something hasn't worked or, or, or something that you maybe don't understand, but you likely are not the only person who doesn't understand it. So you're thinking really of the larger group and, you know, you can't get in there and start throwing rotten fruit. It doesn't work like that. Having that relationship, I think, with us in terms of helping the club and being able to try and better understand it, I think works better rather than doing, you know, club-led interviews, which are to cause and effect will come out not really answering any questions and really just getting there to be able to try and underline and support what either the manager, the club, the board are all doing just to be able to try and pacify us a little bit. Whereas actually, I think that we can get and ask questions that almost to a certain extent maybe give a little bit more clarity around some areas that, that may confuse us, things that we don't quite get. And that's a two-way swing, right? Because I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to be critical of Ross Wilson I know that some people have defended them in terms of, of the work that he's done and where that's at. I'm, I'm not one of them. And I think it has to be better. But I've caveated that comment by saying I think that the board need to do slightly better in terms of how the football operations work, in terms of how the communications work. So it's not just a thing that I'm landing on him and then leaving it at, at, at that. It, it has to kind of look at what I mentioned to you before about those general overall levels of accountability and being able to try and take it. Because John Bennett's quick to tell us about 
you know, the phrase best in class. Uh, and and I think that the AGM spoke, you know, around that, and I think was was discussed about the fact. I don't think that there is elements of the club that are even close to that type of level. I could understand if we're trying to get there, that's fine, but show me the evidence of that happening. So I think it's great that we that you guys have that relationship. I know that you were close with Beal, um, and 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 you had that 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 kind of communication with them. I've got zero doubt that baseball in the world that wasn't Michael Beale sat in that manager's chair you would want that person to to succeed as much as I do because let's face it if that manager's succeeding it's because Rangers are winning and winning nice uh, uh, shiny silver things so I I like Beale I like the fact that you know he, he seems particularly engaging in a kind of one-in-one scenario um I've never heard anyone say that they've had a a, a poor interaction with them from that perspective um, but yeah, as you rightly say, there's a difference between being that person, but also having that relative distance of Rangers managers. Some of our best managers, you know, when they walked in the room, everybody shut up. That's the kind of gravitas that that job holds. Yeah, and I agree with that. Stephen Gerrard had a, a certain intimidating aura around him. Um, Walter Smith had a, a massive, massive presence. Alex McLeish had the very same thing. Even when Alex McLeish returned for the Legends game, you you realised, you know, what a kind of, that word gravitas. And I think that Michael Beale has enough presence, but it's whether or not he, he obviously needs to grow into this as a massive job and opportunity for him. But let's talk about your first, as, as we kind of, before we look at Leverkusen and things like that, you know, we have... He spoke a lot. I think he speaks well. I think he said some stuff. But interestingly, Cammy, he said some really interesting thing on fitness and potential squad issues. And I wanted to read something to you and see what you took from this comment. Um, he gave. He says, I lived with these players when they were slightly better version of what they are now. That was down to a collective identity and a way of playing football. That gave us strength, the way we defended as a team the amount of cohesion we had and the way we moved around the pitch gave the team a certain belief that when we wouldn't concede goals against really good teams in big games, that then gives us the confidence to go, to score and create. That's interesting in itself, but I think this next bit is really key. He went on to say, I think they all just want to move in the right direction with clear guidance again. I'm going to give them that clarity in terms of how we are going to play find that really interesting because we make a lot of comments as supporters. We talk about heart and desire and the players don't look like they know what they're doing. The players aren't fit. Now, Michael Beale was never, ever going to come out and say that they were disorganised or they didn't look fit. Another comment from the weekend, he said, the players are not as fit as I want them to be to play and press the way I want them to press for 90 minutes. He said two really big things there. One, that they need perhaps the correct guidance. They need it simplified and properly, you know, so that they can be in tune in, in what they're going to do. And secondly, about fitness. Now, we've spoken about this. We all have as supporters. As a collective, we've all said they're not fit, they're or, not organised. But is that as close, do you think, we're going to get to Michael Beale alluding to the fact that maybe we had a point in what we were saying? Yeah, I do, yeah. And I think that is where you do have the benefit of someone coming back in who has been there prior, has seen those those players and where they're at and stuff. And as much as I do believe 
the biographical readouts and you know the statistic side of things in terms of player individual training performances and stuff and and you know what I'm talking about Stevie you know the the the, the kind of overall sports science piece of it is very very important because I think it, it shows you who is training well who is training consistently who's looking to be able to try and be better I, all of that kind of stuff I do think is is very very important the flip side of that coin is also about the individual conversations and what you're trying to do with them. Now, if you've got, you know, two or three coaches all trying to have conversations with you and they start to differ in terms of what they're trying to, to achieve, you know, the coachee, the player, um, will become confused by it. Potentially, that's what he means in, in, in the comment when he talks about pulling together in the right direction. Maybe that's the, the, the general undercurrent of where the players might have had a degree of confusion about that. But to answer your, your your point there in terms of the general fitness, I, that's probably where he's seen that. He's probably seen um, that comparison of when he was there under Gerard and what he has now. And I, and I think that we were all seeing it. Even you and I as laymen could see that in terms of what, what we've seen in terms of that fitness uh, regression because it had fallen off of a cliff. And I think that it's all very well and good saying that you want to be uh, a European-level club. And we're not, maybe our level is in the Europa League or not, I don't know. I, I would like us to be able to try and aim for the Champions League because I think that you get better playing against better competition and playing against better opponents. I do sincerely believe that, right? And we will definitely get that in the Champions League as we've found out, you know, to our detriment this season. So if you need to be at that level, you need to be as fit as that level. You need to be at that kind of point and stuff as well. And that's where I think our... our, our our, our, our previous management team and the, the the players let themselves down within that. So if he's walked in there and he's seen that fitness needs to be addressed, good, I'm glad. Because that's something that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks and then they're not prior to the break because we could see it for ourselves. The other thing within this as well, Stevie, is that fitness needs to be able to try and come into play because if you're at, a, a, if you're at Rangers and you're at a level where you're going to be playing you know, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday or whatever. Now, I know we obviously won't have that, you know, in the, the second half of this season, but we all want it season on season where we're going to be in Europe after Christmas, etc. But also within that as well, Rangers should never, ever, in my opinion, enter a competition without, you know, a realistic focus on aiming on, on winning it. And for sure that counts across all three domestic competitions. So therefore, you're going to have a heavy fixture schedule. Therefore, fitness is a requirement. Stamina is a requirement. And so there should be standards set within that because some of these games that we've been talking about just now where we've, we've let ourselves down badly, it's probably been because we've seen probably within the last 15 minutes or so, we've struggled to put in decent shifts. We've struggled to apply quality in terms of our delivery, in terms of our finishing, X, Y, and Z, because those players were knackered. So, yeah, listen, it's music to my ears, and I'm so glad. And this is why I do have that belief within Beale and the things that he can deliver. There's question marks over other things, right? And I don't think I'm being unfair there because I think I'm being a realist. But when I hear things like this, it's it's that's exactly what I want. Because if he'd walked in there and said, the squad's in really good shape, the mood around the camp is good, I'd have known it's, it's absolute bullshit. So would you. Yeah, and that's absolutely fair as well. I think, you know, the realistic side of it is that there is big question marks around Michael Beale, but to caveat that is what you've said there at the end of that is that he's he's already pointed out things that we've maybe identified as a support. Now, that brings us on to the weekend. Um, 
a nice scoreline against Bayer Leverkusen to win 3-0. Now, we all know that they were not anywhere near up to speed. They caused us a, a wee bit of problems in the game. I think they created two or three really good chances, a free header in the first half. There was one in behind Tav, boy putting a side net, and then in the second half, they forced a good save from John McLaughlin, and then Tavenier cleared it off the line. So it wasn't as a stroll. It wasn't like they were completely not trying, but they let's just say they weren't in full throttle. Rangers, though, made a very good impression. Good 3-0 victory, a couple of goals by Malik Tillman, who played very high. And then a third from Scott Arfield, who came on and, and played even, you know, just as even high as he was. Little cameo performances in there that was good. What we seen straight away, though, was a, a very disciplined structure. The team were very narrow. The two wide men that Giovanni Van Bronckhurst liked to play wide were immediately inside. They played almost like a front three and they were swapping about and they were running about, swapping to two with one behind, going with one with two behind, and it was very fluent in there. Malik Tillman was so high, it was like there was two defensive midfielders. But when you were watching it, and we have a very good vantage point, when you were watching it, there was a clear structure that was like a Christmas tree selection. It was all information, and that was the early points I took out of it. Now, there was a lot of positive 50-50s. One, there was a lot of positive play, good positive goals, and, and yes, it was it was nice. But as Michael Beale pointed out himself, it was only a friendly. However, gave us a small insight, I think. Not a massive insight, just a small one. But what's your overall thoughts, Cammy, of the 3-0 victory over Leverkusen? Stevie, I thought I would have, have potentially have retired by the time that I thought, you know, Rangers might score directly from a corner again. Um listen, it's 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 a friendly, right? So there's obviously tons of caveats around that. I know what we're saying about, I don't think Leverkusen play again competitively until like, I think mid-January or something, I think someone had said to me. Um, and there's a new boss coming in and there's all these various different factors and stuff as well. But I, I would still take a 3-0 win over a Bundesliga side regardless. So I'd have no issues with any of that. I think that that's about the guys were able to try and put on a display for the manager. And, as much as I said earlier on, that as, as a Rangers fan, you've got a degree of selfish entitlement about what you expect from the team that you, you give your back into. That that performance probably wasn't for us. That was for the manager and his team to be able to try and see what they can do against, you know, a, a good level of, of competitive opposition, albeit it's not, you know, it's not it's not a Europa League last 16 game, but what it is, is a good opportunity to get a run out against, you know, a high level of opposition. This isn't a Carlisle or you know, Bristol Rovers, with all due respect to those teams that were playing, this is still a good side regardless. Um, I think what's been interesting for me is, is some of the stuff that you touched on there is a different style and a different way he wants to be able to try and play and get those players fitted into it. And, you know, maybe that's the the breakthrough that we've been talking about in terms of thinking of a system. And maybe there's going to be some trial and error around the back of that. And listen, do you know what? It's been a bit of a shit time for him to be able to try and come in because for him coming in and having that job, been able to recall some of the players coming back, obviously, from their own particular breaks, then obviously getting ready for the Hibs game at Ibrox tomorrow night, then all of that you know, gives him a very limited time frame to be able to try and get things together. So I think he, he's, he's experimented. I think that the players have shown what they can do. I think they gave a good account of themselves for sure. But I, I wouldn't be surprised, Stevie, if when we've got the opportunity, I would probably see another few, maybe a behind-closed-door game, maybe another couple of friendlies when we've got that chance to be able to try and do so that's not going to limit it. 
And I actually think as well, if you're then saying to me, could there be an emphasis now that if we were to go and get a really good result against Hibs, for example, and we put the game to bed early doors, does that then give itself an opportunity for him to trial a few different things since the, the, the three points are secured? Wonderful. That's exactly what we want. Because all we want is to make these games as easy as we can possibly make them and make sure that we get as, as maximum points out the back of them. That being said, it doesn't have an easy run of it. Um, and everyone will now, as time starts to rumble on, will have one eye on the old firm game. So I think we're going to have to be prepared for degrees of experimentation um, when it comes into it. And I think that, like I say, you saw some of that happening against Leverkusen. That, that's perfectly fine. That's exactly what we wanted because we couldn't just go out and play exactly the same. Um, so, yeah, I was really pleased with, with Saturday's result. I thought it was um, a great opportunity for him to come around. It was actually one of the, uh, the really positive things, I think, in terms of uh, looking just at that, that the, the different options that we have currently and hopefully that will see the motivation coming through in the players as well. You touched on it a wee bit and we do have this run now. It's, it's five games culminating in the, in the Celtic game at home on the 2nd of January. We have five games in, in probably about 20, 21 days. Uh, if my math is, is correct, it starts off with Hibs at home and then we play Aberdeen and Ross County away and then Motherwell at home on the 28th. So we have a jam-packed schedule that then goes to the Celtic game. Now, those four games become absolutely key. It's good for, it, it's massive for Michael Beale to get early momentum. It's massive for the players to get confidence and, and get in their stride. It's not going to be easy because Hibs at home are always difficult. Aberdeen and Ross County, two difficult away trips. Motherwell at home, again, at, drew both their games at Ibrox last season so this is going to be problematic but it's a real good chance for Michael Beale earlier on to stamp his authority on it and the players to respond then obviously comes Celtic now by the time we podcast again Cammy on this in this show excuse me most likely will be after the Celtic game so what we all want is 15 points absolutely but is there a bigger case to say not only do we want that, but we need to see a performance and we need to see a response. So just to kind of sum up before we, we end the, the programme and end the show, what, without being too simplistic, we know 15 points is the obvious answer, but what are you looking to see and how well do you think we can do in these five games? Um, of course, it's easy to sit here and go, yeah, let's go 15 points and and I'm the first person, Stevie, and you know me, I'll turn around and go, let's just take it game by game. You know, let's not let's not worry about Ross County away before we've dealt with what we have to deal with Petodre. Then obviously we've got that lot after Motherwell and stuff as well. So I, I'll always take each game as it comes and, and, and you know, I'm sorry for being eternally boring in that front. It's just it's just my my attitude towards all. Um there's a couple of things within that, though. I think we have to try and get wherever we can in terms of maximum points. I think that, for me, Hibs, Motherwell and Celtic, all are home games. For me, I think that has to be nine points. And the reason as to why I would include the old firm within that is because he's going to have four games between now and then to be able to try and, and really embed some of those ideas and those those designs that we talked about. But it's a big game coming up, right, in terms of where that's at now. Heaven, for, heaven forbid that people are going to start going, well, we're nine points behind and we've got three games against Celtic, therefore nothing's done and dusted. I'd love to believe that, I really would, but I just think that the odds are massively stacked against us being able to to, 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 to mount that comeback. 
But the old firm game is the one that we need to be able to try and look at. That will build its own level of momentum, irrespective of however many points we are behind them. Plus it's at home, and plus it's Celtic, and blah, blah, blah. You all know the, the dialogue to that. So I think, you know, those those uh, those nine points, um, I don't see a reason as to why we should fear Aberdeen up at Pitodri. I really don't. It's not been too bad for us up there in recent years. Um, and Ross County will be Ross County. It could be just be one of those edgy games that just starts to to, to have a bit of needle with it and stuff. The, the other thing, or the other two things I'll say within those running games that you're talking about, Steve, is it's not just the points, right? Um, theoretically, hopefully, as we're talking about this as well, we will see some big players coming back for us um, across those games as well. Um, I believe that uh, that Beale had spoken recently about that Goldson and Davies were, were fit to return imminently. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, because, you know, <laughs> how many times have we heard from Rangers? Yeah, he's, he's about five to seven days away and about, you know, two months later, there's still no playing. So I don't know how much of that I really, truly believe. So I'm just going to assume that we're going to go with a makeshift defence as we've had to and feature, the, you know, those guys won't feature. If they do, fantastic, brilliant. The other thing on top of that, however, though, Stevie, is the performances. You know, don't get me wrong, I'd rather play badly and win then play brilliantly and draw or lose. So therefore that's it. But the players are due performances. They're due to give us, you know, the the um where we can see them being able to to be rejuvenated with this change that's happened in terms of the management teams. So therefore I expect to see performances. I don't think that's a, a selfish thing to ask for. So absolutely I would say nine out of fifteen points. Um again just being a wee bit pessimistic. Um, winning our home games and again, like you say, being able to bleed those players back in coming back from injury. And the last thing is being able to make sure that we can see concerted performances from players who, if I'm being honest with you, have not uh, been so bright across the, the, the last few months and stuff as well for us. I've made it perfectly clear to Michael Beale that I have a realistic um kind of expectation and that nothing will be expected less than a treble before the end of the season. Well, if nothing motivates him, Steve, if that doesn't motivate him, nothing will. So, yeah, I can I can, I can, can see you having given him your list of demands. Yeah, it was it was all very reasonable. Ronaldo on a free and a treble, you know, to start with. <laughs> so, listen, Cammy, I've had a great time speaking to you. Um, I think we have covered all the points. I, I appreciate the whole point, Rangers, really, that we would be a bit more frequent, which we're going to get back to doing and hopefully people have enjoyed it. And what I would say to them, Cami, before we say goodbye, is if anyone's got any points or any comments, please let us know. Contact us, let us know what you think, and let us know what you want to discuss. Cami, it's been an absolute joy, my friend. Thank you for joining us. You will be the host as we get together after the Celtic game, and let's hope that it's been five wonderful games for this club of ours. Yeah, let's hope so, Stevie. A, a pleasure to talk to you as always, obviously, with various different things that have been happening in the last few months. We haven't... Um, had too much of a chance to be able to try and get this show back in regular order, but that will happen. Um, and again, like you say, really excited to see uh, the the Beal uh, era kicking off. Um, and listen, let's face it, it's just it's always wonderful to talk about Rangers anyway. So uh, after a couple of weeks of the World Cup and stuff as well, you felt a wee bit like the itch coming back, and um, thankfully we'll all be enjoying going back to Ibrox and probably a bit cold. So bring your bring your gloves and your mittens and all that kind of stuff, but. Uh, yeah, um, just make sure that you wrap up warm for it. But listen, it's going to be brilliant being back in at the stadium.
It is. And thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us and listening to us talk about the club. Anything that you want to talk about or you want us to cover, please let us know and please let us know what you thought of the show. The Michael Beal revolution begins here and now. Thank you for listening. That was a Heart and Hand production. Sports Social Podcast Network.